coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. Wow, what a day, right? How many times do you head to a news website like CNN.com and see the headline, insert former president's name, under arrest? Yeah, that's what that's what reality is today. Uh, there was another, was, I saw a, a Chiron as well. Maybe it was CNN too. They may have been guilty of this one. Uh, what did the Chiron say? No, not that one. We'll get to that one in a little bit. By the way, the S&P 500 and NASDAQ are at 2023 and record highs. Uh, no, no, no. Where is it? Come on. Show me that Chiron. We had one that uh, was just sort of surreal. You just sort of have to pinch yourself when you see stuff like this on cable television. Here we go. Uh, CNN, Donald Trump under arrest in federal custody. Okay, so that's that's CNN doing that, but it's technically true. He is technically under arrest and was arraigned, or as I'm actually recording this, being arraigned as we speak. Now, I don't know how many of you watch the Sunday talk shows, the afternoon cable news network talk shows as well. I mean, you're listening to a political show on a political station, so maybe you do, but maybe you don't. I'm maybe, like you, a little struck by the whataboutism that has transpired of late from the Law and Order Party, right? Remember them, the Law and Order Party. And yet, all they can talk about, all they can talk about is, what about Joe Biden? What about Hillary Clinton? They of the Lock Her Up campaign in 2016. What about Hillary Clinton? If Hillary Clinton were as guilty as Donald Trump allegedly is, then why did no one do anything? I mean, that was literally the subtext of the Trump campaign. Lock her up, lock her up. Chant, chant, chant. Lock her up, lock her up. And then they had the White House, House and Senate, of course, had commandeered the Supreme Court, and yet nothing came of it. Because it turns out investigations aplenty were done and nothing came out of those either. That's the difference. That's the difference. Outside the Miami courthouse today, one of Trump's attorneys, and you have to like start writing these names down because they change hands so much. I mean, he gets dropped by attorneys in humiliatingly large numbers. So this week's Trump attorney, (laughs) he has a handful. Uh, Her name is Alina Haba. She's out in the uh, on the sidewalk giving us this. Countless other individuals, Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden himself, retained possession of classified documents yet have not been prosecuted, and none of them came into possession of those documents while they were president. So here's the thing. Once they realized they had classified documents or were informed that they may have said classified documents by folks from archives or the Department of Justice, they're like, oh, well, let me just give that back to you. Here, come get it. Unlike you-know-who, TFG, DJT. 
And then there's the hypocrisy of one Senator Marco Rubio. This is Marco Rubio, September 9th, 2020. Separately, I think the subject of this hearing allows us to emphasize a related point, and that's the difference between a process of responsible declassification of secrets that don't need to be secret and selfish, irresponsible leaks. Does a former president hoarding boxes of classified documents and then just saying, no, I retroactively unclassified that stuff back when, but I don't remember when, and I can't recall, and nobody witnessed it, but trust me, I declassified it. Does that count? But some are not willing to play by the rules, unfortunately. People who have put their lives on the line to give us information deserve better and to see their hard-won secrets splashed across the pages of the New York Times or the Washington Post just because a bureaucrat or a politician wanted to score some cheap political point for their own benefit. But what if it's a politician, for example, who just wants to impress his, I don't know, rock star friend at the golf course by wafting some important documents in front of him and asking him his opinions on those issues in those documents. Is that responsible or irresponsible, Marco? From Edward Snowden to a politician who wants to be the first to break news, we, the American people, suffer for their selfish acts. And who benefits? Maybe the political, the politicians snag a few headlines for a few hours on an interview on cable news, but the real winner ultimately is our adversaries. Okay, so I don't really know why I'm arguing with Marco Rubio 2020, because he's not wrong there, except Marco Rubio of this week, 2023, doesn't seem to agree with Marco Rubio of 2020. In fact, today he tweets the DOJ is seeking to jail for life, in all caps, not just a former president, but the leading opponent of the current president in the 2024 election. But that actually hasn't been borne out yet, Rubio, so... Pump your brakes. You've got a primary process in your party to play. Anyway, he continues in the tweet, the damage this is already inflicting on our country far outweighs the damage, in parentheses, if any, from what they allege in the indictment. Again, with the alleged harmless crime defense. The family of Eric Garner would like a word with you, Senator Rubio. Also, Marco, earlier today on Fox News. These documents of this nature don't belong at Biden's garage. They don't belong in Hillary Clinton's server. They don't belong at Mar-a-Lago. But there's no allegation here. Even if you read the indictment, nowhere does it say, and as a result, the national security of the United States was harmed in this way. Okay? I absolutely hate this defense because reality winner and Edwin Snowden can say the same thing. What harm was done? Well, we can't tell you that because that's classified. Marco, you're a senator, damn it. You know this. And you have to weigh that (laughs) with an indictment that now is going to put our country in a deep, already divided and polarized country in a really dangerous place. And whose fault is that? Who is stirring them up? Who is telling them that Donald J. Trump, the man who called you little Rubio, who mocked you, who mocked Ted Cruz and Ted Cruz's wife, for God's sakes, who now has a nickname for Chris Christie, who has a nickname for Ron DeSanctimonious. He turns on everybody who was his ally if they don't stick with him in lockstep. But he's also the guy who has been coddled and enabled by politicians who should have known better from the start. And because you guys coddled him all this time, he now has a base that is emboldened and believes that their feckless leader who is full of shortcomings, I'll say, is somehow an innocent victim, the target of witch hunts. Gee, 
Where did they get that idea from? And continue to get it from while you head to Fox News to howl and whine about indictments that, oh, by the way, his former attorney general, his former secretary of state says is legitimate. A really dangerous place. Why, Senator Rubio? Because now all of our institutions are being undermined. Now the whole country, we're watching this spectacle play out on television and will for the next year and a half. Not to mention there's real questions about whether the president can get a fair shake here. I mean, what lawyer licensed to practice in the Southern District of Florida works at a firm whose clients aren't going to complain if he signs up the president, can get the clearance to do a national security and is actually a good lawyer? How hard is that going to be to find? Well, let's remember, by the way, Donald Trump has burned through a small army of attorneys already who have dropped him numerous times. That's not anyone's fault, but that guy's. Oh, and all the people who have enabled him over the years, or his entire life even. And as far as it being a spectacle for the next year and a half, well, why is the Republican Party allowing the man run for office then? Oh, because they don't want to lose his base. See, you guys are the tail wagging the dog. Actually, you're the dog and the tail is wagging you. I got it wrong. Sorry. You're the dog and the tail is wagging you. As I mentioned just a minute or so ago, yes, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo on Fox News doesn't exactly say the nicest things about Donald Trump and his defense of these indictments. What Donald Trump is facing and is it right to charge him? Brian, good morning. Great to be with you. Uh, Two things I think are both true at this point. First, um, if the allegations are true, and there's lots of indications that they are, President Mm. Trump had classified documents where he shouldn't have had them. Mm -hmm. And then when given the opportunity to return them, he chose not to do that Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. That's just, Brian, you, you talked about me having classified documents. I handled thousands and thousands of them over my time in Congress and then as a CIA director and Secretary of State. Um, I suppose we can all make mistakes and get them to the wrong place, but when somebody identifies that, you gotta turn them in. And so that's just, that's inconsistent with protecting America's soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines. And if the allegations are true, some of these were pretty serious, important documents. And so that's wrong. He's lost Mike Pompeo and his former Attorney General, Bill Barr. The reason he's not losing bootlickers like Senator Rubio or Ted Cruz is because Senator Rubio and Ted Cruz need MAGA voters in subsequent election cycles. That's all there is to it. Mike Pompeo's not running for squat. Bill Barr's not running for squat. Isn't it amazing the clarity that folks from the right who aren't running for office have about Donald Trump? When there is no electoral consequence whatsoever, they are suddenly emboldened to, I don't know, speak the truth. Huh. Funny how that works, am I right? Okay. From inside the courthouse, Donald Trump pled not guilty to the Espionage Act violations, the willful retention of classified and top-secret documents, conspiracy to obstruct justice, issuing false statements to federal agencies, and scheming to conceal the classified national security documents. His lawyer, Todd Blanche, said, we most certainly enter a plea of not guilty. By the way, uh, Todd Blanche and what was the other lady's name? Alina? Alina Hannah, was it? Are two of the attorneys that Trump scrambled to find yesterday after his two primary attorneys resigned. Well, that's not good. CNN's Evan Perez reporting from inside the courthouse that uh, Donald was twiddling his thumbs and had a very sort of glum look on his face. 
I just keep going back to what Marco Rubio said about what this is doing to this country. It's not doing to this country anything. It's doing to the MAGA movement. It's doing to within the Republican Party what it's going to do. And the thing that really twerps me off is that because of the spinelessness of the Marco Rubio's and the Ted Cruz's and the J.D. Vance's and Tom Cotton's and because there aren't enough Liz Cheney's or God, dare I say it, this is going to feel disgusting, Brian Kemp's, because there aren't enough Republicans with spines within the party to stand up to this guy because there are more Lindsey Graham's than Brian Kemp's and Liz Cheney's. The man has a movement that is an emboldened and he continues to be coddled and protected while doing wrong. Bootlickers like Marco Rubio aren't leaders. And it just goes to show you how they lack confidence in themselves and their popularity with their electorate without Donald Trump to prop them up. Back after this on America One Radio or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Tuesday. (laughs) I got fatigued talking about Cop City, but we seem to have had a little bit of a lull in that while the uh, Cop City movement moves to get 70,500 plus signatures for their attempt to put city funding for that facility up for a referendum by November. I also had to chuckle when I saw that uh, city councilman, Michael Julian Bond, shared an article from the AJC headline, Inside City Hall, Does Atlanta Need a Tax Increase to Maintain Its Parks? Did, did the city council not just commit 60 plus million dollars to a public safety training facility outside city limits on land that it's going to lease from the Atlanta Police Foundation? Help me understand this. We got money for that outside city limits when the city owns acres of land, it could be repurposing inside city limits for public safety training. But this headline, does Atlanta need a tax increase to maintain its parks? And city councilman Michael Julian Bond, need I remind you how he voted last week, decides that this is an article worth sharing. Self-awareness sometimes, my friend, I'm telling y'all, clearly lacks. The uh, article, by the way, starts, Atlanta may soon increase its millage rate for park funding after city council completed the second of three required readings to amend the city's charter at last week's meeting. An ordinance sponsored by city councilman Dustin Hillis would increase the property tax rate for the city's park improvement fund from half a mil to one mil to generate more revenue for recreation department projects. You think living in the city of Atlanta is expensive now? Hillis said he sponsored the ordinance because it's been decades since the city has established a strong commitment for park maintenance. Okay, I'm not disagreeing with the premise that the city and park maintenance in particular could use a boost. I'm on a board for a softball league and plenty of softball fields that could be in better shape for sure. And that's just softball. I'm not even talking about tennis courts, basketball courts walking and jogging trails, et cetera, and so on. And and yes, we'll get to the Piedmont Park shooting yesterday in just a minute. I had to go back and check because I don't have this memorized, 
But for the record, Michael Julian Bond, who shared this article on his Twitter account, and Dustin Hillis, who is cited in this article about the dearth of funding for Atlantis Parks and the need now to raise taxes to cover that expense, both voted for a closer to $67 million price tag for the Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility. Now, I'm not saying that the city doesn't need more money for parks. That's not at all what I'm saying. As the article points out, if the ordinance is approved, the fund will get an additional $11.2 million a year for maintenance. And that, according to Councilman Hillis, the millage increase would provide another $1.6 million or so for safety and security, including more park rangers and cameras. We need that. We, we definitely, I mean, we still have an unsolved murder of a woman and her dog in Piedmont Park from more than a year ago. Completely unsolved. And, and any cameras that were nearby where this happened apparently were malfunctioning or not functioning because of disrepair and lack of maintenance. Absolutely not going to disagree that the city needs more money for parks. But we just coughed up $67 million for a public safety training facility outside city limits on land that the city is going to somehow lease. Like It's so hard to, to, to put your mind around how it's city-owned land that the APF is going to use to build a facility in conjunction with the money that the city's going to use to build a facility. And then the city's going to lease the facilities on the land it's owned back from the... Ew, it's just so murky, right? So murky. But we got to raise taxes now because the city hasn't been taking care of its many parks. Did I not say it earlier? Self-awareness is sorely lacking in our society. Make it make sense. Oh, and hey, by the way, there's another opportunity for public comment. Oh, boy. Here we go. Tomorrow, June 14th, residents can comment on the millage rate proposal. I'm sorry, tax increase. The first hearing currently scheduled for noon. The other slated to start at 6 p.m. I'm just saying this is an opportunity to sort of state what is obvious, what I'm stating right here. We we just set aside 60-some million dollars of taxpayer funds for a public safety training facility that it would appear that most Atlantans don't want, but now we've got to raise taxes. For now, we got to raise taxes. Not for the public safety training facility. You notice that, right? We're not raising taxes for that. We're raising taxes for something else that costs a lot less than that. Let's try this analogy out, okay? You've got a, 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 a two-income household with maybe kids, okay? And your spouse went out and traded in their reliable vehicle that Minimal car payment, didn't really impact the household budget that much, but decided, I want a Maserati. And now, that car payment went from $150 a month to $600 a month. Yeah, your, your, your household budget, the, the, the expenditures just increased by $450 a month. And Georgia Power is going to raise their rates. It's going to cost you about $12, $15 extra a month. And I'm not endorsing that. I'm just saying, that's also happening. So your expenses are going up by $465 a month, 450 of which is the Maserati. And your spouse has the stones to look at you and say, well, one of us is going to have to work extra hours or get another job because that Georgia Power Bill is going to send our household budget 
over the top. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> it's not the small little power bill increase. And I'm again, I'm not endorsing that. It ain't the power bill that's, that's sending your budget into overdrive, man. It's the Maserati you just bought that you had to have. You convinced everyone or no one that you had to have it. And so now you got it. It's in your driveway. It's added $450 to your monthly budget. But that $15 utility bill increase, well, nope, we got to draw a line somewhere. Now somebody's got to go get another job or work some extra hours. That's what Atlanta City Council is doing for you right now. It's all bait and switch. They just gave up a ton of money to the Atlanta Police Foundation for a pet project that probably could have been done a lot more on the cheap inside city limits and on property it already owns. But now to take care of the parks that the city already owns and maintains. They need more money, and there's going to have to be a tax increase. It's bait and switch, man. Please tell me you're paying attention to this. More on show after this on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Follow The Ron Show on Instagram at Ron Show Radio. The Ron Show on America One Radio. All right, I know I'm going back and forth a little bit on topics, and I apologize for that, but... Maybe as an adult, I should have taken some ADHD medication. And maybe I'm just kind of grabbing at a few different things here and there today instead of sticking to one theme or topic. I want to introduce you to a fellow by the name of Mark Hurtling. Uh, Mark, since well, about the last nine years or so, has appeared as a national security and military analyst for CNN, Cable News Network. He's a former U.S. Army officer, uh, served as the commanding general of the U.S. Army Europe, and the 7th Army, um, what else? Uh, he was Senior Vice President for the Florida Hospital Organization. And let's see what else. Uh, appointed by President Barack Obama to be one of the 25 people serving on the President's Council on Fitness, Sports, and Nutrition. Seven years ago, named Adjunct Scholar to the Modern War Institute at the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. Became an adjunct professor at the Crummer School of Business at Rollins College as well. Also got a presidential appointment to the American Battle Monuments Commission. And that's just me scanning his Wikipedia page. He just sounds like a fairly apolitical person. I mean, the, you know, nutrition and fitness board or whatever that President Obama appointed him to. That's not exactly a political function. So again, I think this is an apolitical guy. Just a, you know, a man who, who served in our military honorably, by the way, at some of the highest ranks. And then went on to serve in other capacities in this country, for this country. So I, I would take something he says from an area he is an expert in and say, you know what? This guy doesn't have a horse in the race. I'm going to take what he says at face value. And so he tweets earlier today. A former vice president is being indicted. By the way, this is a thread. Sit down. We're going to be here a minute. A former president is being indicted for the second time, and there's nonstop coverage. Some good analysis, some not so good. Many keep bringing up how, quote, those in the military are likely the most upset about Trump absconding with intel secrets. Mark Hurtling continues, yes, but there's more. Having read the indictment four times now, and by the way, it's less than 50 pages. Read the indictment. The amount and type of classified information Trump took, hid, did not secure, and refused to give back is, in my honest opinion, gobsmacking. 
Many analysts have called them, quote, war plans. I doubt any documents fit into that specific contingency category. Mark Hurtling continues, the documents were likely extremely detailed intelligence assessments with potential foe and friendly capabilities and weaknesses and U.S. capabilities we would not want anyone, especially foes, to know. Many have said this isn't a document issue, it's a national security issue. Mark Hartling continues in this tweet thread, I have seen intel agencies, military units, foreign service officers put sweat and blood into providing these documents, making sure they are accurate. All those individuals know they must get it right because their work, their assessments are provided to key decision makers. Those who view those docs, the president, high-level military leaders, State Department officials, and others, use these assessments for critical decision-making. For our citizens. For our country. One phrase in the indictment struck me like a bullet, Mark Hurtling tweets. Trump saying, my boxes. None of these are, quote, personal papers. These documents provide information and intelligence gathered through the use of U.S. capabilities put together by really smart, dedicated, patriotic individuals to be used by U.S. officials to defend against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Mark Hurtling continues in this tweet. Strategic leaders see and use these documents when they are in a position to serve the American people. They don't get to keep them or review them or show them around or not keep them secure when they are no longer in the position. As a military leader in command of different organizations, I, quote, used each kind of the type of documents found in the trove at Mar-a-Lago. Each kind, secret, top secret, TSSCI, TSHCI, no form, TK, even the kinds of ones that were, quote, redacted, most likely various code word. Mark Hartling continues in this tweet thread. I was only allowed to see them because they helped me make better decisions, plans, or conduct more effective operations. When I left the military or a specific job, I was read out of the clearance. That's what happens to everyone, including the president. Yes, the president has declassification authority, but that requires a process that then protects a lot of people. Anyone who says otherwise is a moron. And anyone who says someone can do it after leaving their leadership role is even more moronic. There's a reason I reacted viscerally to the, quote, my paper statement. To claim they are his, as if they've been given to him for personal use or vanity, just like the WWE belt, the New York Post clippings, or any other trinket or memento found in these boxes, is horrid. Again, this is Mark Hurtling tweeting. Yes, military and intel officials are pissed. They know the power of these documents that were treated cavalierly. All Americans should be equally pissed, but it seems many are not because of how some in government are treating this case. We need to treat this seriously. Again, that's Mark Hurtling, who, as I mentioned before, served in the U.S. military, was commanding general of the U.S. Army in Europe, also served in other capacities, uh, vice, senior vice president of the Florida Hospital Organization, uh, named as an adjunct scholar to the Modern War Institute at the U.S. Military Academy at West Point, became an adjunct professor at the Crummer School of Business at Rollins College. 
And of course, in recent years, in the last nine years, he has appeared as a national and security analyst for CNN. I kind of think he knows what he's talking about. And I kind of don't get the implication of bias from him. I grew up in a pseudo-military family. Outside Fort Gordon, Georgia, Grovetown is just outside two gates at Fort Gordon, outside Augusta, Georgia. My grandfather served in the U.S. Army, retired with honors, and I believe I have his medals, which included a Purple Heart, by the way, I believe from the Korean War. My uncle also served in the U.S. Army before retiring. So I I grew up with a steady, I think, dose of what the U.S. Army and military service means to our country and the sacrifice that the individuals and their families make. Okay? One of my best friends also served in the U.S. Air Force. And he and I met when he was actually stationed at Fort Gordon. And I know Fort Gordon's not an Air Force base, but it's home of the Signal Center. It's Intel and there's also, you know, I'd, I'd be giving up stuff that I shouldn't probably tell about his role uh, at Fort Gordon. So I won't. But suffice to say that there's intelligence gathering that happens all over the world. And here in the United States, using modern communications uh, apparatus, right? Um, so I also understand the importance uh, and the dangers that exist in collecting information, top secret information, classified information. And being the nephew and grandson of someone who served, someone's who served in the army, I take great umbrage with a narcissistic clown who somehow managed to get elected to the highest office in the land, then having to vacate said office, still having access to information he clearly had no business maintaining possession of. And even still, (laughs) we live in a country where he was kid-gloved through a primary situation, kid-gloved through a presidency by... Handlers that have all, almost all, I should say, turned on him. Bill Barr has turned on him. Mike Pompeo has turned on him. Chris Christie has turned on him. All of those who have ever been close to him have turned on him. Mike Pence hasn't really turned on him, but maybe that's Stockholm Syndrome. I don't get it. I mean, he's kind of, he's running against him, obviously. He believes he's a better choice for president than Donald Trump is. I have two cats that are better choices for president than Donald Trump. So that's that's a low bar. But I will never in my lifetime ever understand how from a political standpoint US military support for one political party over the other continues to be as lopsided as it is. I thought after the George W. Bush presidency, having 
hundreds of thousands of our men and women hurled into a war zone, not of necessity. Thousands of them coming back in flag-draped caskets. Tens of thousands more coming back with mutilated bodies. Tens of thousands more coming back with various forms of mental challenges, PTSD among them. One of my dear friends from high school lost his wife. She served in Iraq. She died of cancer from those burn pits. I I really thought that was going to be the turning point. I thought, okay, all of this accumulation over time, and even the exit from Afghanistan, we were there for 20 years for what? For what? You want to go back and look at Raytheon and Lockheed Martin's, Boeing's, all these military uh, industry names? Do you want to look at their profit margins the last 20 years or so? They've done well. They've done very well. What do we, the people, have to show for it? And don't give me, well, we got Osama bin Laden. We did in an overnight raid that took two helicopters and, what, two dozen SEALs? It didn't take trillions of dollars. It can't just be about the money because military spending has continued to go up despite the fact that we vacated those two war zones. Yeah, military. In fact, even under Biden, military spending continues to go up. And when we talk about budget cuts, the Pentagon is off the table. Even with Democrats, can't touch can't touch the Pentagon because we have to have this appearance of strength, stability in our military. But when you look at the irresponsibility factor, it, it's it's incomparable. There's there's no it's it's incomparable. Make no mistake, the hawkishness of our society as a whole, that's a bipartisan issue. We were uh, in alliance with Osama bin Laden when the Soviets were in Afghanistan, slipping him money, and we had to hide our tracks, and the hiding of our tracks meant killing him and his people, which we failed to do, so he sort of held a grudge, and 9-11 happened, right? I'm not saying that that's our responsibility, but... We tried to kill a guy that we used to use to our benefit. He was feeling vengeful, right? Everything that we have to deal with Iran stems back to the 1950s when we and the British intelligent folks decided we got to get rid of that prime minister of theirs because he's about to nationalize their oil and gas industry and we need gas in our cars cheaper than he'd like to make it. Well, that blew up in our face in 1979, did it not? We've amped everything up with Iran ever since then, militarily. Iraq. Saddam Hussein was our ally because we needed to deal with the mess we made in Iran until he wasn't our ally anymore. We chose a batch crazy guy, and that batch crazy guy turned on us and our allies. So we had to go back in in 1991. And again, we decided, because that was kind of personal, the Bush family. Go back in in 2003 and finish what we opted not to in the 1990s. I guess I just don't understand how the military and the veteran vote is so strong in one direction versus the other. And I thought Iraq and Afghanistan was going to be the turning point in that, and it wasn't. 
And I'd like to think that Trump mishandling, wafting top secret documents in front of the likes of Kid Rock on a golf course and asking for his input. The hell, I, I'd like to think that. That, that, that's going to be it. That's the final straw. That's the last straw. No more. And the military is going to go, we have to go with the more responsible party. The party with conservatives and moderates and liberals and progressives all under one roof. Because at least we feel like we can get a fair shake with the one party, even if it's the moderate hawkish conservative end of that party versus the absolute bat crazy party that's completely overtaken by a guy who couldn't keep the documents safe and secure and out of sight for those who had no access to them. I'd like to think this is going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back, the, 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 the point that turns the whole bus around and, and, and makes our military and, and veteran vote make sense. But I'm not hopeful, not hopeful at all. But I appreciate Mark Hurtling for his service and for his delineation, which I shared at Ron Show ATL on Twitter. Back after this. Final segment of The Ron Show for Tuesday. Thanks for listening, by the way, on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast, whenever you get around to this show. I do appreciate that. I have to admit, by the way, I try to, as soon as the show's over, post the show to SoundCloud and all the podcast platforms. And there are days that I have to, like, stop what I'm doing after the show's over and then go to a Zoom meeting for, like, my softball league board or go show houses or get to work on some contract information that needs to be updated for a uh, transaction. And so sometimes I just kind of lose sight of it. And yesterday was one of those days. I just kind of lost sight. I woke up this morning and I had a text from uh, an avid listener. Hey man, where's the show? Sorry. Anyway, my apologies. I try to do this in a timely manner. Unfortunately, this is a one-man operation. Everything you hear is essentially a one-man operation. And I have to stop myself, whatever I'm doing at like 3.30, if I don't already have segments recorded and... Boom, get some done. So I apologize. Another confession. I used to be a huge, huge fan. He used to be a huge fan of Bill Maher. Real Time with Bill Maher was like Friday night required watching. Uh, I even, my ex-husband at the time, even surprised me with tickets to see Bill Maher live in Columbia. It was a big, big surprise. Like we were heading there. I thought we were going to the zoo. I think I was dressed for the zoo. I think that's what it was. And no, he said, oh, hey, look in the glove box. Surprise, Bill Maher tickets. That was cool. That was super cool. I've kind of fallen off the Bill Maher wagon of late because as Bill Maher has gotten older, Bill Maher has gotten more crotchety, more set in his ways, uh, and pseudo-Rogan-esque. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's kind of he's gotten into the Joe Rogan mold a little bit. And he's got a podcast, by the way. Not Rogan, I'm talking about. Well, we know Joe Rogan. Uh, Bill Maher has a podcast, along with Real Time with Bill Maher. And Bill Maher and I are still like in ideological alignment, I'd say about 85, 90% of the time. But again, he's kind of, he kind of loses it a little bit from time to time and goes even a little more radical than I'd like to on some things super left and sometimes kind of veers to the right on something. It's, it's just the nature of the beast, I guess. Anyway, so actor John Hamm was on his podcast this week talking about uh, the sophisticated South. And John Hamm mentioned that he said, I shot five movies in a row in Atlanta. Atlanta has the United States headquarters of Porsche, Mercedes-Benz, Delta, Coca-Cola, and like two other huge multinational corporations. This is John Hamm talking. Don't come at me. I know it's more than that. 
<laughs> and then Georgia Tech, Emory University, Georgia State University, all within Atlanta. And you go out to dinner in Atlanta, he says. This is John Hamm, the actor, talking. World-class food, fun bars, beautiful music, and art museums. The whole thing. And it's not like New York or L.A. It's actually like black people and white people go to the same places. The reason is because they all have great jobs. Hey, man, that's great. That is like just a sterling endorsement of Atlanta and the diversity that we enjoy in this city and the success that everyone can come here and enjoy the uh, entertainment industry, whether it, it, whether it be the music industry, whether it be uh, Tyler Perry studios. It's not just that I, I, I worked in a company when I moved here where most of the executives in our office were people of color. It was so cool. I really, I mean, trust me, the job was a nightmare, but that was actually super cool, getting to work with peers and work for peers who were not just another heteronormative white guy in a suit who would schlep off to go golf in the middle of the afternoon because he could. I work in real estate and work with agents and brokers of various Shades and hues and backgrounds and even ethnicities. And I'm telling you, this is a ringing endorsement for what Atlanta is and how this nation can be on the whole as well. And I love that an actor like John Hamm basically said it, man. Atlanta's got it going on. It's also, by the way, no coincidence, I don't think, why there are so many in rural Georgia, conservatives in particular, who cannot stand Atlanta. Oh, they'll point to the crime, although crime's down heavily since the 1990s, on, on, on the whole. Violent crime and all crime, down heavily in Atlanta since the 1990s. They'll complain about the traffic. They'll do that while also voting against mass transit funding or even you know just stomping on the idea of things like high-speed rail. They're, they're quick to want to get another lane in the interstate somewhere wedged in around this place, but don't, don't, don't dare talk about MARTA. The rural Gwinnett voter votes against... Marta going into the heavier, more densely populated area of Gwinnett to help ease the traffic along I-85, but they got to complain about traffic anyway. We notice now that Cobb County is a blue, a solidly blue county, even though the GOP is trying to wrest control of their county commission from the majority of voters who, again, voted for Hillary, voted for Joe Biden, voted for Warnock, voted for Ossoff. It's been blue for a while. Voted for Stacey Abrams twice. Uh, but still, you've got a conservative movement that's trying to keep things like mass transit. And, and again, Cobb's starting to talk again about mass transit expansion and tying to MARTA. These are all great things. The things that people complain about Atlanta who don't live in Atlanta are the things that their political ideology tends to keep from making Atlanta better. Affordable housing, uh, transit options, et cetera, and so on. But the diversity the success that a diverse population enjoys while living in Atlanta. Those are things that we should really be proud of as Atlantans. And I, for one, just, I, I, I can't play the audio from the podcast, but I just wanted to share what John Hem said about our fair city. So congratulations, Atlanta. I mean, I've been pretty mad at our, our civic leadership here of lately. This, this whole cop city thing has just been kind of sketchy and it seems murky and there's a lot of money moving around that we don't know about. And of course, the tax increase now that they want for parks. But still, that's something to be proud of as Atlantans, as Georgians, and I, for one, salute 
you and us for being able to wine and dine and enjoy the finer things in life in the city of Atlanta, because we can all come here and be successful. That's something to be proud of as Atlantans. That's going to do it for The Ron Show. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. We'll see you then.